Hello, I'm Donald Johannesson, and thanks for joining me on Speaking Out. For two years, I've been at the helm of one of the country's national Aboriginal radio programs that's lasted 25 years on the ABC. In the final program, Kerry Lee Harding and I will look back at some of the stories we brought you in 2015. But first, a song. This is Archie Roach and Mal Power with Freedom.
Archie Roach and Maupau with Freedom, and I caught up with them at the Cairns Indigenous Art Fair when they played that song live. Well, um, you know, when I was coming up, I was trying to find my voice, my identity and who I was, and it wasn't until I heard a song um, from his album called Took the Children Away, uh, I learned so much about myself and about my culture and, you know, the Indigenous culture of Australia, and that mu- that song uh, introduced me to storytelling with the music, and uh, you got lost in it because it was a personal story that was universal, and that's that's why the music you hear resembles that. I grew up on Uncle Archie's music and people who who sung about, um, you know, the, the trials, tribulations, the hardships, uh, the the um, acknowledgements and the accomplishments that uh, our people did. And this is this is why, you know, I always acknowledge that when I get up there and um, being able to perform a song like Freedom and have Uncle Archie on that just meant so much for me. You know, so, yeah. Uncle Archie, uh, Charcoal Lane, it almost sounded like there was a reverb version up there, the way he was talking and singing up there, because it brought out things, you know, the great music from the Charcoal Lane days. I suppose. Um, yeah, it's just like I say, it's um, it's 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 just you know, like it's it's it echoes exactly what what, what I do. It's it's uh, you know, it's talking about um, you know um, culture, uh, people. And the same thing as Charcoal Lane, the, the, the album uh, did and said and, and, and did. It's exactly the same. The, the music, the, the, the songs that Patrick is bringing out, the male power is. Uh, it's a, uh, performing is just, it's just so powerful and just you know it, it hits you in the heart and you know, even I as an older fellow you know, can can relate to what Patrick's singing about what Mao Power's singing about you know? yeah, and freedom just singing it up there what did that mean to you oh no you know I, I've listened to it since we since we recorded it and it was good to get up there and, and finally perform it the first time yes <laughs> yes <laughs> you wrote that? yes yes that must have lyrics and everything just the power between your two voices too it's just unbelievable yes I'll be honest after I met Uncle Archie down in Melbourne from that performance I went away uh, feeling so so uplifted and you know honoured that I met the man that I wrote that song so it was inspired by um, everything that I've learned uh, from, from our great teachers in the music before and uh, when that came together uh, I was just over like you you don't do not believe I like wouldn't understand I was just over the moon when I could actually said yes to be on that track so um, that's what the song was and it captured that time and that emotion. Finally, uh, more work together? You're going to do more work together? Yeah, well, I would love to, so we can see in the future. Who knows what the future holds? Yeah, oh, well, yeah I'd love to. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just one bit. But like, like, like Mal Powell said, um, uh, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see what, what happens. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Right. Thank you very thank much. You. Well done. You're listening to Speaking Out on local radio, Radio Australia, and on the ABC radio app. I'm Donald Johannesson, and joining me now is my co-producer, Kerry Lee Harding. Kerry Lee, how did you enjoy that song, Freedom, by Archie Roach and Mal Power? I really love that song. It's a unique and beautiful sounding collaboration between uh, two amazing uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artists. So we're so lucky to have them and to produce the work that they do. They're just doing really deadly things and I hope they produce uh, more work like that Freedom song. Exactly. And I've gone through my archives for 2015 and I've picked out a couple of stories that I think are of great interest uh, to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community. And I think now it's time for you to tell us about one of the stories that you enjoyed bringing us here on Speaking Out for 2015.
It was a big Logie win this year for Darwin-born actor Miranda Tapsell, who took home two Logies, one for most popular new talent and one for most outstanding newcomer. And when I spoke to Miranda, it was really good to speak to her about the lack of diversity amongst our Australian actors. And here is my interview with Miranda Tapsell, where you'll hear first her speech from the Logie Awards. Many ladies can relate to Martha, but there is something really special about reaching the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women who had experiences like the girls in Love Child. These women can look at Martha and think, that was me. So, if viewers clearly love seeing this, why deprive them of that? Put more beautiful people of colour on TV and connect viewers. And connect viewers. And connect viewers in ways which transcend race and unite us. That's the real Team Australia. Thank you very much. I really like to prepare things before I go and do them because, yeah, I didn't want to just go up and say, I, I like to plan what I was going to, I really wanted to plan what I was going to say. So I've, I've spent a little bit of time, I spent a little bit of time writing it because, um, yeah, I did, I did notice that, um, you know, as, um, that as, Abri- that as an Aboriginal woman, I, you know, growing up in Darwin, you know, I, I had, I had Greek friends, Filipino friends, but I noticed on TV that that didn't necessarily reflect that, you know, and I thought that was so normal. So why why isn't that shown on TV? And um, so I, I just thought I just wanted to say how, how I felt, and I'm so glad that I got the platform to do that. Were you surprised by some of the reactions that have come out after the Logies night? Oh yes, I had. I had no I, I had no idea that it that it would have the impact on people that it um that it did that my speech had on people. It was just so um it was so surreal that moment. And sometimes I think, Oh, did I dream that up? Um, it was all such a blur at the time. I was uh, I was still processing the fact that someone had called out my name, you know. But I'm just so I'm just so I'm on cloud nine at the moment. <laughs> And what went through your mind when your name was called out for the first award on Logie's Night, Miranda? Oh, the first time my name got called out, I was thinking, no way, what? Because the three, the three nominees that my my fellow nominees, like Harriet Dyer, Olympia Valance, and Samantha Jade, they're artists within their own right, and they're they're you know very very. Um, well respected in the industry and they've got so many followers on social media I thought I had no chance you know I so I planned only one speech I thought I just kind of resigned to the fact that I wasn't going to win um the most popular the most popular actress award and so when I won it was that that was that one was really unbelievable Darwin-born actor two-time Logie Award winner Miranda Tapsell this is speaking out. If you'd like to podcast the show later or previous shows, find the podcast links at abc.net.au/speakingout.
My first story looking back at 2015 is my chat with the Western Australian Minister for Aboriginal Affairs, Peter Collier, about the proposed closures of Aboriginal communities in Western Australia. What's the latest position from your government on the closure of remote Aboriginal communities? of Aboriginal communities is concerned, it is a highly emotive issue, as you would imagine. We've got around 274 uh, remote communities in Western Australia, and uh, that, is a, a, that is a significant number of, uh, of, of communities. Now, um, as a result of uh, the federal government withdrawing funding or for service delivery within those communities, it is time for us to... Uh, assess the viability, the sustainability of those communities in the long term. And I think that's a good thing, quite frankly. Uh, What we've got to do, though, is to take the emotion out of the argument, and that's what we've been trying to do and I've been trying to do over the last three or four months. Now, Donald, it's it's quite, as you would imagine, it's quite a complex area. Some of these communities have only half a dozen people. Um, Some have, you know, up to a couple of hundred. Um, Some have very transient populations, which means that they are seasonal. Um, And so what we have to do is to ascertain, as I said, the sustainability of the communities, while at the same time being very respectful and mindful of the attachment of Aboriginal people to the land. Uh, Because as you and your listeners would be well aware, uh, Aboriginal people have a deep attachment to their land. And, uh, you know, they'll never be denied access uh, to their land. That, that I need, need to make that perfectly clear. What we do need to do, however, and this is what we'll be doing over the next 12 months, is to look at the viability and the sustainability of each of those communities to determine a way forward. And that is to provide a, a productive um, um, uh, opportunity or, or environment for the residents of those communities. The number that's been touted has been 150 communities. Is that still correct? Look, and I can't confirm that number. I mean, it's it's anyone's guess, and I don't mean to be flippant about this, Donald, um, but it is anyone's guess at this stage. I actually chair the Aboriginal Affairs Cabinet Subcommittee, and that is a group of ministers that are directly involved in service delivery um, for Aboriginal people throughout the state. And what we're doing here is in trying to de- develop, or we are developing a framework for more efficient delivery of services across the board, right across the board, what we've had in um, for, for generations in Australia is not a lack of commitment to Aboriginal people. I think uh, the fact that here in Western Australia alone we spend um, almost $5 billion, $4.9 billion um, in uh, Aboriginal affairs in one way or another annually. So the commitment from a financial perspective has been there. But what has happened, and uh, and again, I'm sure there'll be some nodding heads when I say this, there's been very much a silo effect with regard to um, the spending of that money. The departments work very much in isolation. There been, hasn't been as much communication, dialogue and cooperation between departments uh, as has been probably been uh, been desirable. As a result of that, there's been a lot of wastage of resources um, in terms of Aboriginal welfare. So the Cabinet Subcommittee is a positive step forward. As I said, I chair it. Um, We have the Minister for Mental Health, the Minister for Health, the Minister for Housing, Corrective Services and Police on that that subcommittee. And what we're doing is to try and develop a much more unified purpose in terms of the direction of those funds and that's what will happen with regard to these remote communities. We'll be looking at a way in which we can more effectively and um, in a much more sustainable fashion deliver services to those communities. That's Western Australian Minister for Aboriginal Affairs Peter Collier and that's a story worth looking at in 2016 the Aboriginal Affairs Minister talking about possible closures of Aboriginal communities. Kerry Lee that's going to be a big story in 2016. 
Yes, Donald, that will be a very big story to keep an eye on in 2016. One of the other big stories that I covered this year on Speaking Out was on hip-hop artist and rapper from Shepparton in Victoria, Briggs. It's been a very busy 2015 for Briggs and he's taken home two awards at this year's National Indigenous Music Awards in Darwin. One award for the film clip of the year and album of the year for his album, Shep Life. I was just, first I was figuring out how do I get on stage and then um, I was... um, I was just more, I was more happy for my mates who made the clip for me. You know what I mean? Like they put in a lot of a lot of work and a lot of hours to you know to capture the right vibe and everything about that clip um, was because they captured the whole soul of that song. You know what I mean? Properly. And so you know for mm-hmm. for Heath and Josh. I was really thankful that they um, were on the same wavelength and could see the idea um, the same way I did. The name of film clip of the year, of course, Bad Apples by Briggs, produced by Heath Kerr and Josh Davis. Uh, Why did you want to work with these fellas as filmmakers on your video clip? Because Heath is from Shepparton. They both have, you know, good ties with, um, with, um, you know, local Koori community as well. Mm, yeah, good, good. And um, like they're both really respectful, and they and they get it a hundred percent. And the and the stuff they make is amazing because it's so organic and so natural. And they just capture, you know, all the the beauty in in just the simple things and the subtleties, which I really like. You just mentioned there about filmmaking process being organic and natural, and it really is, isn't it? When you sat down at the beginning of the filmmaking process, is the video clip, the final product, exactly what you wanted or did uh, the vision for the film clip change as uh, the work progressed? Um, Like the vision changes as it goes on simply just because of budget and and time restraints, you know what I mean? Mm. So what I, I knew with these guys is whatever they do, like is it's going to be good i i was never once worried about the outcome of that video they could because i know that they understand the importance of the song and the importance of the track um to the video and, and also vice versa they understood you know what they were making was um a video that was um it's going to be a a big deal. It's going to be a message, and um, I, you know, we we had some conversations about how it was going to look, and you know, and what they wanted to create, and I I just put all my trust into them to be able to make that vision a reality, and and, and I knew not once, you know, was I ever going to have to be worried about the outcome. Briggs, Aboriginal hip-hop artist and rapper who hails from Shepparton in Victoria. You're listening to Speaking Out on local radio, Radio Australia and on the ABC radio app. I'm Donald Johannesson and joining me is Kerry Lee Harding, my co-producer, and we're bringing you the best stories of 2015. Speaking Out paid tribute to a man who served his country and returned to a life of hardship and racism. He was Australia's first and only Aboriginal fighter pilot for the Royal Australian Air Force during World War II. Len Waters started out in the military as a flight mechanic. 
Dr Bob Hall wrote The Black Diggers, Aborigines and Torres Strait Islanders in the Second World War. On September 1, 1986, Dr Hall met Leonard Waters in his Brisbane home. This is his story. And were you involved in any other uh, air battles, Len? Actually, no. Uh, there was no... Well, by the time we got there, by the time, there was no more... Or There was one turnout we went out one day. This was the last of the resistance in the air in daytime, in daylight. There was uh, 12 of us went out and there was 16, 16, around the 16 Japs. Right. They were in zeros, were they? Uh, no, these were Tonys, uh, were the inline motors right. this time. And uh, they they lost, we shot down 13, uh, there were 16 of them, so we shot down 15. One of our blokes got hold on the way back, he had to ditch his, his plane, mm. and, uh, but we saved him, he got out in his digging. And the next day we went out and uh, caught the other fellow. He was patrolling on his own. Right. And uh, Danny Baker, our flight commander, he was also leading the, the uh, squadron this day. He, uh, all the others, when they, they spotted this Tony, he flew into a big cloud, a big cumulus cloud, mm. and everybody was like a swarm of bees around it, waiting, you know, so we get him when he comes out. Mm. And Baker just more or less gave me the thumbs to follow him, and I went, flew with him, and uh, we flew down under the cloud. And as we got under the cloud, here he is, this chap high-tailing it. Well, he'd finished him just about, and then he indicated to me to have a go. Mm. I put a burst into it too, so he, that, mm. But that was the last daytime resistance we saw. They sent a few over at night after that. Mm. As a matter of fact, they gave us a really good Christmas present one night in, in uh, 44, Christmas 44, Christmas Eve. Wow. There was three, three uh, Bettys, that's the heavier bombers that the Japs had about the size of a, a Mitchell bomber that the Yanks had. Oh. And uh, the Spitfires, they shot them down in pitch darkness through this radar. They were the radar operated. Right. And uh, they shot two of them down over over us, and the other one crashed in, didn't return to base, crashed in the water mm. just before we got to base. That was just about the end of it. Oh, there was an odd odd one spotted, but we never spotted any more after that. But you were involved in ground attack? Oh, yes. Yeah. So, well, that was our job, dive-bombing and strafing, right. all the bases, mm. yeah. Mm. And fuel dumps and stuff like that, their mm. barges and stuff. And what happened to after the war, then? Uh, as I told you, the brother came to, well, of course, came through, and then there was Mitchell, a Tarakan. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and uh, we spent the last, like, three months, I think it was, of the war there together. The day before the peace was declared, we did a base down uh, on mainland of Borneo. It was a real hot place. It, 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 as a matter of fact, it was the, it was the admiral of the, of the Japanese fleet in that area, right. put it on his headquarters, hmm. and he wrote, uh, and, and, and you can imagine how well he was protected. Hmm. So anyway, to go back, we were on the flight side, and Frankie Smith and I, we were the last two of our group that went up there in 78 Squadron. A couple of others had been sent back, one bloke lost his nerve completely, a married man, a young married fella, hmm. and uh, they sent him home for his own good. And uh, Smithy and I, we were leading flights, and there was, you know, commissioned officers flying two and three to us, like, you know, mm. to finish. We did this bash on the, to like today, and then we went across over into the uh, briefing hut that night after dinner to see what was on the agenda for the next day. Here they are, they 
Or incidentally, the other day, uh, this day that we did this big bash, another fellow that came up with us, but he was in uh, 80 Squadron, was in the same wing, Teddy Quinn. He got killed this day because like the three squadrons were involved in this day now. Mm. He got shot down that day. Only right when we heard about him buying it, we went across and had a look and had us down to lead a flight each the next day in this place. And uh, our time, we were overdue. Like uh, we'd spent our, see, 12 months as a tour, mm. duty, and we were up there just on 13 months. And uh, we went across to the CO to, you know, lodge a protest. We said we don't want to get anything because our mate bought it today and. and uh, and he said, well, just hold fire. He said, apparently they must have had an idea what was going on. Mm. He said, you mightn't have to fly tomorrow yet. At 10 o'clock that night, the news came through that the Yanks had dropped the bomb. Mm. You know, saved us that next yeah, day. Yeah. But then we waited and, uh, well, Jim, uh, they asked then for volunteers for 77 Wing to go to Japan in the occupation force. Right. And he wrote, I said to Jimmy, uh, well, Donald, is I said, uh, what say we join the occupation force? could go over there and have a bit of a time or so of their experience. He said, I'll be going home in the first boat. He said, I can get on. Mm. So I said, oh, well, I said, I'll go home too. Because we could get home quicker than they could, you know, because we jumped on the first courier that came back, mm. DC-3. I wasn't home a week. And Mum got a cable from Jim to say he'd join the occupation force and he'd go to Japan. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, our fate is if I'd have gone over there, see, 77 a wing was the first wing that, of, the, of the Allies, actually, that did operations in Korea. So I could could have been buried on the side of a hill in, in Korea. As a matter of fact, Ronnie Guthrie, a bloke got his wings with, he was the first Allied casualty and he, he wasn't killed. His plane was shot down in uh, in uh, Korea. He finished up here later on too as a flight lieutenant up here at, at Amberley. Dr Bob Hall speaking to Australia's first and only Aboriginal fighter pilot for the Royal Australian Air Force during World War II, Len Waters. Well, it has been a big year in 2015 producing the Speaking Out program. It's been my absolute pleasure to do so alongside yourself, Donald. There are so many people to thank everybody involved in the program. To all of our wonderful listeners, thank you so much for tuning in over the last couple of years uh, to our broadcast on Sunday nights and to our podcasts online. But there are some very special people I need to thank and uh for this mother now, it's goodbye to deadlines and uh, back to focus on my beautiful children. To my children, Diva, Charters and Mia, thank you so much for your patience while I've been producing uh, this very busy, wonderful program over the last couple of years. And I can't wait till summer holiday time, kids. Let's do this. <laughs> I also like to thank uh, my wife, Helen, uh, to put up with all those hours of late night editing that I did for our YouTube site uh, and also traveling as well. I mean, uh, anyone who says traveling is glorious in this position, it, you know, they're kidding themselves. Uh, being away from home and country is always uh, difficult uh, trying to you know, do the work at the same time in a, a remote community or somewhere in a hotel rendering processes uh, going on until three o'clock in the morning with uh, little or no Wi-Fi. <laughs> Uh, but that's just part of the job. Uh, had a great time up in Torres Strait as well and uh, just you know, m mixing with other journalists, uh, Indigenous and non-Indigenous too, to let them know what Speaking Out was about and uh, you know, to be out there in those communities. I think they really, really appreciated what we did. Uh, and also my children as well. They're, they're going to have their father back, so that's good. And uh, again, Kerry Lee, thank you for all of your interviews that you've done for the last couple of years. Uh, you've got some really big names there over the past, and I think that really helped 
being down there in Melbourne 774 where some of those guests came in and then you grabbed them the second time and say, we're going to do another interview, but this time it's for speaking out. So um, that worked out really well. Our um, social mm. media sites uh, showed that uh, people were interested in our stories. So that's great to see and we hope that continues that people do listen to Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander voices on the ABC. Absolutely, Donald, and you've been a wonderful speaking out presenter, may I say, over the last couple of years, like the others that have gone before you. For example, just to name a few, um, Karen Durante, Rihanna Patrick as well, Wayne Caldwell, who started off in the early days with the program, all those 25 years ago. It's been an absolute pleasure to take the program uh, to its 25th year and I look forward to hearing what Speaking Out uh, offers uh, us and our audience into the future. Again, Kerry Lee Harding, thank you very much for your time, patience and, and love and respect. Uh, Rihanna Patrick, thank you very much too for your you know special contribution to the show. David White in the early days was our producer and thanks for their ongoing support for Speaking Out. So Kerry Lee Harding, thank you again. I'm Donald Johannesson and this has been Speaking Out on ABC Local Radio, Radio Australia and you can still hear us on the ABC Radio app. Bye for now.